The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Amen. Let's take our Bible church and turn to the center of your Bible and uh, the book of Psalms. Many of you are familiar with Psalms, uh, Psalm 130, if you find that. If you're visiting with us today, maybe not familiar with the Scripture, there's a Bible in the pew back right in front of you, and just kind of let that fall toward the middle portion of the Bible. You'll find this book, Psalms, kind of looks like it's spelled Psalms, but the P is silent. Psalm 130. Church, don't you love to worship together? That's beautiful music today. Just makes me think about what it'll be like one day uh, when we're all in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and every tongue and tribe and nation around the world will sing out together the praises of Jesus Christ. Amen? And uh, we'll sing the God's glory in the face of Christ followed by the sermon, but that sermon that day won't come from me. It'll come from Jesus Himself. Amen? From the very living Word. As you find your place, Psalm 130, and just want to remind you again, if you would, our church, we have so many things going on all the time here. And uh, I just want to remind you, if you haven't had a chance, or maybe there's other kinds of events that haven't been had a place this morning, just look in your bulletin, that center section. Uh, Please pray through this through the week. Churches involved in all sorts of things. North American missions, uh, global missions, and local outreaches. And I just want to also say thank you very much to everybody coming yesterday for our work day. I think it might have been the best crowd we've ever had on a uh, work day at the church. It might have been that the weather worked, uh, cooperated with us on that one, but it was wonderful. Thank you for being involved in your local church. Thank you for being here to worship today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and see what He has to teach us in this passage. Our Father, we do come to You now over Your Word. And maybe the better thing is to say is that we are under Your Word. We don't stand objectively over top of it as if somehow we are to scrutinize and analyze and see whether we like that portion of Scripture or not. We are to submissively bow our hearts and minds and souls before the written Word and what it speaks to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have not a choice but to obey. For to do anything else would simply be disobedience and rebellion against a God who has been so gracious and kind to us. Father, on this last Sunday of Lent as we pick up in this beautiful lectionary text and we begin to move now toward the next few weeks toward the resurrection. Let us not forget that the entire call for the cross and the resurrection is due to Adam and Eve's fall in the Garden of Eden which condemned all of us to a life of failure and sin and wickedness. Today, Lord, would You give us fresh eyes by Your grace and might and power and spirit to see the goodness of God in Christ Jesus forgiving us. 
I pray that if there's one here today that does not know You as Lord and Savior, that beyond my stammering lips, but from Your Word and Your Spirit, that You would convict and convince their heart of all of their questions and all of their hopes and fears of all the years that they would be met in Jesus Christ. And I pray for every believer here today that we would be renewed in our spirit by Jesus and that we would walk the penitent way. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Psalm 130, let me read these eight verses for you. You look at them in your Bible and I'll read them out loud for us as a church. And so on, Psalm 130, verse number one, out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice and let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared? I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in His Word do I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, indeed more than the watchman for the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with Him is abundance of redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all of His iniquity. Many years ago, I saw a film, and many of you have seen the Indiana Jones movies. And in the Last Crusade, there's this uh, scene where Indy is going through this dark tunnel, and he's trying to find the Holy Grail. And no, I'm not talking about Monty Python, right? Indiana Jones. He's trying to get to the Holy Grail, and uh, Indy keeps saying to himself, "The to go through this tunnel, there is a key phrase or a motto that he must keep chanting, and it is only the penitent man will pass." Only the penitent man will pass. Only the penitent man will pass. And he gets all the way down this tunnel and just about the moment he, he, it dawns on him that penitent people are humble people. Penitent people are people who are looking to confess before the Lord God of heaven, give their heart over to the Lord, and bow low before Him. And that's exactly at the last moment what Indy does is he bows to the ground, and here comes this saw out of the wall, and it would have decapitated him had he not followed the penitent way, which is to bow before the Lord Almighty in confession. The psalm that you're looking at in your Bible, Psalm 130, is a part of a larger group of psalms, the psalms of ascent. But this psalm is a penitent psalm of confession. And from the depths of suffering, which is punishment of our sin, that's what the psalmist is saying. For Israel's name, he cries out to God in verse number 1 through 3. But he is, uh, God is forgiving them and God is forgiving us. And therefore, Israel and the believer in the room today can hope and trust in God. And that is what we find in verse number 4 through verse number 8. When you leave here today, maybe you might want to jot this down. Here's the big idea, the main theme of this lesson from this text, and that is those who cry out to God with a sincere heart when they are in the depths of their despair will soon sing of His mercy in the heights of His love. 
And you may be in the room today and say, I'm not even sure that I need to be a penitent or a humble person. I've not been all that bad. I've been a pretty good person, but I want you to understand that you're in the same lump as everybody else in this room. And that is in your life, you may horizontally compare yourself with other people and feel for a moment that you're pretty good. But when you compare yourself to God Himself and His Son and the Trinity, you will soon find that you are full of deep, Deep, dark sinfulness, so the Bible says. Your life and my life is sinful before God. And the only response for us is to be penitent, humble, bowed down sinners. And the only way to joy, the only way to righteousness, the only way to the fulfilling life that God has called us to is through the penitent path of the believer. Let me just point these three things out to you today. The path of the penitent person involves a prayer for mercy, confidence in God's forgiveness, and hope in the Lord. Here's the first point. Pray for God's mercy. Look back at verse number 1 and 2 if you would. Out of the depths I have cried to You, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let Your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Every time you read the book of the Psalms, you will see over and over again this repetition where the psalmist will say, God, hear me. God, pay attention to me. God, listen to me. Incline your ear to me. In fact, sometimes when you read the book of the Psalms, you'll, you have a tendency to think that maybe he is, uh, maybe he's being a little brash or a little too assuming with God, a little too demanding. But the whole point of prayer is that it is not mechanical. You cannot put in enough coins and get out what you want from the sovereign God of heaven. It is a relational aspect in which when we pray, we are calling to God to listen to us. Amen? Here's the good thing. When you call for God to bend His ear toward you, you understand that as Augustine said, the ear of God is already in your heart. God is closer to you than the very breath that is in your lungs. He cares. He loves. He is with you. And when you pray and you call to Him, He hears. You don't have to be the greatest Christian in the world. You don't have to have all accomplished everything in the world. You don't have to have the most money or the greatest home or the greatest job. It doesn't matter what race you come from or where you live. If you call to God in humility, He hears. Pray for God's mercy. First of all, pray where you are. Look at what the text says. Out of the depths. This is a water reference. In fact, the majority of times in the Psalter when this word is used, the depths, it is talking about this overwhelming gulf of water, the waves that have crashed down upon your life. That is what it's saying. You'll find that in Psalm 30 and verse number 1 and Psalm 71 and verse number 20. It is a figure of speech suggesting an insurmountable difficulty in our lives. Is there anybody in this room today, no hands raised and no voices spoken, but you'd say, I have an insurmountable difficulty in my life? I want you to know that you don't have to get to a better place before you can call on God. You can call right where you are. 
You say, what is it going on in this psalm? What is the difficulty? Well, verse number 3 and verse number 8 tell us that most likely what's going on is the individual sin of the psalmist and the sin of Israel themselves. And I want to say to everybody in this room, we all get ourselves in bad places in life where our sin has ruined our life and caused us problems and broken relationships and hurt us and lost jobs for us. And I want to say to you that right in the pain and in the depth of your difficulty, call there to God. There's been times in my life where I've sinned, you know, maybe you've done the same sin. Anybody in here, now y'all don't leave me alone, right? Give me get here and amen. Anybody in here got those besetting sins where you do it and confess it and do it again and confess it and do it again? Anybody else like that? Y'all going to leave me hanging today. You ever, hey, hey, you ever sin, you ever sin so much as a believer that you felt like you could not pray and talk to God until you have at least put together two or three or four good days. You know why you're laughing? Because you've always been there with me. I want you to understand, every time you think that way, you misunderstand the Gospel. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. While we were yet sinners Christ died for the ungodly. In the darkness of night, in the, in the crevices of your soul, where the deepest, darkest sins that you commit that nobody else knows about, as you commit them, Christ dies for them. You say, that's scandalous. I can't accept that. that. That's beyond what is good. I want you to know that's what God did for you on Christ's behalf. That's how good God is to you. That's how good God is to you. Pray where you are. If you're in this room today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and your life is falling apart, don't wait and think, well, when I get a little better, when I do this, when I plane out in life, pray right now and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in this room, don't wait until you think, well, I'll just, I'll get things settled out. And if I just get this in place and I get that job and we pay that bill off and we do this, if I can just get life set up, then I'll go to God in prayer. Pray where you are, right out of the depths. And pray passionately for God to hear. Look back at verse number two. Lord, hear my voice. Look at the repetition. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Again and again and again, as if with a hammer beating upon the rocks and of the fallow ground of our heart, the psalmist cries out and says, God, passionately hear me. The path of the penitent believer, the path of the one who wants the joy of Christ in their life is the path of the one who prays for the mercy of God where you are and that you're looking to pray passionately for God's design and help in your life. I promise you last night I was watching passionately as my team missed four free throws in a row. Thank the Lord Jesus for Meeks. All my state fans are mad at me now. How dare, 
how dare the believers in this room, yours truly in the same bucket together, how dare me shout and yell, but in a whispering kind of way at the television for my team to win and me not go to the throne room of God with the same kind of passion and boldness and care and concern for all of God's grace in our lives. Maybe just a premature moment of application. Would you just allow this thought to resonate in your heart this week? The Bible says that we may boldly come before the throne of grace to find grace in time of need. All throughout the Old Testament, when the Jews wanted to go to God, they had to wait for the high priest to go into the tabernacle, to go up under the veil once a year on the Day of Atonement and hope that their sins would be atoned for through that priest. And the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom so that every believing person could boldly go to God. Did you go to Him this week? No, no, listen. Don't tell me what you think you know you ought to do. I'm asking you, did you really spend some time before God's presence this week? The path of the penitent. The path to joy is the path for the prayer of the mercy of God. Number two, trust in God's forgiveness. Isn't that a marvelous thought? Trust in God's forgiveness. We have to preach the whole counsel of God. The Bible teaches that He is a just God and those who do not turn in repentance to Him, that one day He will bring swift and certain judgment because they have offended His holiness. That message resounds in the Gospels and throughout the rest of the Scripture and we must preach all of the counsel of God. But aren't you glad that the fundamental fulcrum and center of Christianity is that there is a grand and glorious God who is willing to forgive people who will turn to Him? Aren't you glad that we aren't underneath some sort of Greek mythological gods that are in some distant galaxy and they send their titans at times to destroy and harm and hurt and they just simply want to take all of the wine and the women for themselves? No, we serve a true God who gives His own Son for us. Aren't you glad that there is a God that's not you? I am. <laughs> Every pastor I know is. We, we want mercy for ourselves and we want swift judgment on everybody else. But aren't you glad that there's a God that has forgiveness for us? Trust in the forgiveness of God. Let me point out a couple of things in verse 3 and 4. Trust His sovereignty. Look at verse number 3. Yeah, sovereignty goes with forgiveness. Look at verse 3. If you, Lord, notice the conditional here, if you, Lord, should mark or count or keep record, the word here is this, this keeping record, right? If you, Lord, should mark or keep record of our iniquities, oh, Lord, who could stand? 
And it's not even, it's not even like a brash stance, like, Lord, who could stand up against you? It's who could exist. If God marked and kept and held before His heart and before His mind every sin that we could do, and I want you to understand that when the psalmist gives the conditional, it is with the affirmative in mind that if God wanted to hold every single sin you've ever committed against you, He could and He'd still be God. That's how sovereign, that's how powerful, that's how glorious, that's how majestic, that's how holy the God of heaven is. He can hold everything against everyone and still be righteous and perfect. Hey, God is on the throne. And I want to preach a gospel of grace and forgiveness, but I also want you to understand that you ought to fear a holy and mighty God who could and does know everything you have ever done or ever will do. And that's the kind of Creator that you ought to be careful around. Trust His sovereignty. Trust His character. Look back at verse Number four, but there is forgiveness with you. The very heart and character of God is forgiveness, kindness, mercy. The word for forgiveness here is the word for pardon. I was reading this week and uh, I enjoy reading Puritan writers. Uh, except for sometimes they write really big books. I've got a book uh, at home uh, by Grinnell. It wrote 700 pages on uh, the last 10 verses of Ephesians 6. 700 pages on the last few verses of Ephesians 6. And I'm telling you, thank goodness he didn't write a commentary on the whole Bible. John Owen, Owen a beautiful Puritan, man of God and writer, when he was writing his commentary on Psalm 130 and he came to this phrase, with you there is forgiveness, he paused and wrote 200 pages on the forgiveness of God. I just want to ask you for a moment. If John Owen wrote 200 pages on God's forgiveness, how much forgiveness are you granting to people in your life? How much time do you meditate and pray and think and rejoice in God's forgiveness in your life and the kind of forgiveness you ought to give to other people? I know that's a big pill to swallow, but maybe it would do all of us good and maybe it would do unbelievers good to see the way that we as believers learn how to forgive and give pardon and look to God and see all that He has done for us and all that He's washed away and say, as God has forgiven me, so I will forgive other people. Are you familiar with the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation. Wait a minute, did I miss one? Well, those of you that know, know. And forgive our trespasses as, comparison, as 
we forgive those who trespass against us. I just want you to maybe breathe that in this week. And when you start to get angry and frustrated, look, sometimes things are right, and sometimes there is a just way to be upset and angry, but don't, don't linger there. Don't harbor resentment and frustration and bitterness. Don't hold on to something. And look, I, look. there's a thousand and one little quibs and cool little things to say like, you know, uh, unforgiveness is, is like, uh, like drinking the poison and expecting it to kill the other person. And, if you, and I've heard all kinds of studies about if you don't forgive, it'll make your blood pressure grow up and all that kind of stuff. Listen, that's all fine and dandy, but I want to tell you this. Forgive because God has forgiven you. Forgive first. Because God has forgiven you. And maybe it would be good for you to just spend a couple of hundred minutes thinking about how much God has forgiven you of. Sweet sister and brother, if you're in this room right now and you're struggling to think about all that God has forgiven you, you've not spent enough time thinking about it. And you're lying to yourself. And your pride has gotten in the way. You know down deep in the corridors of your heart what you have thought and what you have said. and Just silently receive God's forgiveness. And learn to give that to other people. The penitent path is the prayer for mercy. And the confidence in God's forgiveness. That is, that we trust in His sovereignty. We trust in His character. Let me say this lastly on that trusting in His forgiveness. Look at the end of verse number 4. Trusting Him results in fearing Him that you may be feared. The word here for fear is the general term for fear, but it involves deeply the idea of worship and obedience. It is a reverence. It is a respect. It is not just a cowering away in a fear, but it is a recognition that because God has forgiven me of so much and that He is sovereignly able to grant that kind of forgiveness, that it should result, trusting in God's forgiveness for my life, should result in me fearing Him and being obedient to Him and worshiping Him. And so if you have a marginalized and a shallow understanding of God's grace and you continue to live in sin... Does this sound familiar? Romans chapter number 6. That bunch of goober believers there, they say to the Apostle Paul, should we continue in sin? God forbid. How should we continue in sin any longer considering what He has done for us? We were dead in our trespasses and sins and He has raised us up to walk in newness of life. And if God has forgiven us and given us new life, it should produce worship and obedience in our soul. If you're not worshiping and obeying Jesus Christ, have you ever really truly been forgiven of your sin by the cross work of Jesus? I leave you to think about that a little bit. Well, let me move quickly to the last point today. The penitent path is one of prayer for mercy 
putting our confidence in God's forgiveness. And from verse 5 through 8, hope in God. Put your hope in God. First of all, hope in His Word. Let me read verse 5. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in His Word do I hope. Do you find the Word of God? Do you find the Word of the living God to be hopeful for you? Do you use it uh, merely as some sort of duty or uh, guilt-ridden thing that you should do and I know I should do that? Or does the Word of God provide joy and grace and hope? Do you find your confidence in God's Word? When all else fails in your life, do you go to the Word of God? I was meeting earlier this week with a man and uh, he's uh, considering the church. He's been here some. And, and uh, we just had, we had a great time together. And I, I kind of confessed to him. He was asking me a bunch of questions about stuff. And I said, look, I, I said, I'm sorry. I wish I had a more philosophical way to deal with this. But most of my answers are just Bible answers. That's all I know how to tell you is I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that every word in this book is breathed out by God and that I am I am commanded to live my life by it. And so what it says, that's what I do. Is the rock solid hope of your life your tradition? Your experience? Your background? Your intellect? Or is the hope of your life the Word of God? Hope in His Word, hope in His love, and hope in His redemption. Let me read quickly verse five and or verse six and seven. Man, these are beautiful verses. Look at the repetition in verse number six. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. You understand what's going on in there? He's making this metaphorical allusion to the watchman on the tower who is looking out in the distance and he's on the city gate and he's watching to see what's going on out there and all of the watches of the night are going and his eyes are starting to droop but he is looking for the dawn of the day. And why? Because of the dawn of the day comes the relief. The next man comes to the post. And so he's seeing when the horizon will come and the sun will rise up and he's longing for the moment when the sun comes. Verse number 7. Oh Israel, notice the change here from the first person then to the gathering plural here. Oh Israel. See the first seven verses, verse 6 verses, he's speaking about himself. Oh Israel now, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness. You can play around with your friends tomorrow at work, tell them you learned a Hebrew word, okay? And you got to get real guttural, like you've been smoking three packs of Newports for six years, right? Chesed. You like that? Kind of hock it up from the bottom. Chesed. You like that? This word means, you'll find it all over your Old Testament, and it's very difficult to translate. That's why it's translated a billion different ways. Loving kindness, covenant faithfulness, loyalty of God. When you think of God's kind of love, you wrap all of that into Hesed, and it is the covenant of love that God makes with us. Hope in God's love for us and hope in His redemption. You see there the end. And He will redeem Israel from all iniquity.
There is but one solution to the sin question and all of our transgressions and all of our sin. And God has provided a sacrifice in Christ through whom there is redemption for every person who will believe on Him. I was reading this week uh, the uh, story of the life of Edward Mote. And he wrote the song, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And I'm going to read to you the last two stanzas of this song, but I want you to listen to this. Edward Moat was walking to work one day and he was happy as could be and he wrote the first few uh, verses of that song. He loved it. He thought it was good. And his good friend, King, asked him if he would come and visit his wife who was dying. And he went and spent a long time with her and visited with her. And he went home that night and realized that not all of life is happy. Not everything ends up the way that you thought it would. Not everything resolves. Not every story has a happy ending in this life. Sometimes it's pain and suffering and heartache and sometimes there's problems, but that God is in control. And here is what he wrote. When darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, His covenant, His blood support me in the overwhelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. We're a couple of weeks out from Resurrection Day. Next Sunday will be Palm Sunday. But I pray that today, if you find yourself in the depths of sin or in the depths of heartache and pain, that you'll walk the penitent path. Pray for the mercy of God. Really call out to the Lord with all of your heart and all of your soul and trust in God's forgiveness and hope in God alone. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at ebcraleigh.com.